This is APX, Episode 1, A Man Called Doe. Have you ever been fired from a job before? I haven't. In fact, I've only ever had three jobs. When I was a teenager a long time ago, I worked in a one-hour photo lab. I learned a lot in that job, and I worked there until late into my college career. Afterwards, I worked for a think tank that summarized white papers for nearly clandestine government agencies. I served in the National Guard while I did this job in order to obtain and maintain an active security clearance. And then I got this job, working for True Crime Think Tank, on a new show called APX. At first, I didn't know what this job was, and I was pretty sure the first time my boss called me in, I was going to be fired. This job has been weird. I was given a list of topics to become familiar with. Maritime law, certain government agencies, certain international agencies, NSA, DIA, CIA, Interpol, Europol, elite military organizations, elite intelligence apparatus, missing persons cases as approached by law enforcement in different jurisdictions around federal installations and military facilities. I was not told what to write or who to report to or what to really even do. So after I'd been sitting here doing my research for about three months, my boss called me in for a meeting in his office, and I was terrified. I was pretty sure that I was about to be let go for no other reason than I had no idea what my job was. But that's not what happened. Here's a look at what APX executive producer and the executive director for True Crime Think Tank, Jennings John, was asking me to do. When I first got called into your office, not like for the interview portion of things, but like the first time when I'd been here a couple of months, I thought that you were going to fire me. <laughs> well, there there was a lot going on. I wasn't, it, it did not cross my mind to fire you. Why did you ask me all these questions about what I knew about the term John Doe? I was not sure how to move forward with which project went. When I first wrote this story out, it was one long story. It wasn't that it didn't make sense, but it was too complex to put it all together. I ask you the questions about the concept of John Doe because there's a certain irony on all of this with our character being named John Doe and that being his name. I always wondered what type of humor went into when we grew up, there was an area in town that was named for John's family. So it wasn't, you know, he's born in the seventies. The, the name John Doe had been used for years. So I, I just found it sort of humorous that his family had named him John Joe. And how do you know John? I grew up with John. Um, I, was on the same soccer teams with him when we were very young and we played baseball together. We played basketball at the YMTA together, like on league teams. And John and I were in the same Cub Scout troop at one point. And then I, I was actually in a different Boy Scout troop 
which had one number. It was troop 943. And I moved over to be in troop 940, which was like in the same town, but in a different location with different people. And when I moved over to troop 940, John was a member of troop 940. So we went camping together. We went to, we were actually counselors at the same Boy Scout camp when we were, oh, I don't know, 14 or 15 years old. We were counselors in training. And then the next year we were, we were counselors. And then a year after that, he went to do something different school-wise. But we went to the same middle school. We went to the same high school. We grew up in the same neighborhood. Um, I lived in one large subdivision. He lived in the, the next subdivision. So they were called two different things, but like, if you walked out the backside of John's subdivision, you walked into my subdivision. And he and I had been, at one point we were friends, but uh, I would call us more acquaintances as we got older. Uh, we definitely would, you know, through college, we would go and have a beer. I went, I got into a school that I wanted to go into and John got put on the waiting list at the school that he wanted to go into and they were very close together. Um, but he ended up going to a different school. So I would see him when he came home. But uh, by the time they were around 22 or 23 and we graduated from college, it would be a, a very long time before I saw John again. Okay, so are we going to introduce him up front or tell his story as this all unfolds? Well, yeah, I, I think that we introduce him in the first episode. And that's how we kicked this off in terms of APX, because I think he is the linchpin. He's sort of a whistleblower in this, in this story. And I think that's how APX is season one, episode one has to be about how he's involved in all of this to a degree. Because this is season one, and I assume this will be an episode one, I want to be upfront with the audience about what it is that we're going to be doing here. You have a season two that's already planned out. And you also have a season three. I I do have a season two planned and a season three planned. Um, season two is, um, it has some of the same characters because they are twined. But it's a story about a missing boy that uh, was never, he was never reported missing. I think that's the direction that I'm going to go in terms of season two is to, to tell that story next and, and it's it's a it does a young child it's a very difficult story to tell um john was involved in uh once i became aware of that john had come back into my life when i found out about that story and our with our wives or friends our kids are friends and uh he was very helpful in um in the story of the missing child in in helping me sort of bring a conclusion to that story of some degree um, so that's probably season two. Believe it or not, where we leave off here in season one actually continues on. So there is a chance that there would be more stories from the season one story. But I believe that season three would be um, sort of what we hear about at the end of season one. And that is what happened to John Doe. He did something... I consider it to be bold. I think a lot of people would think it was very reckless. I had never seen anything like, first of all, he's the subject of a podcast. Clearly, 
there are a staff and there's crew and there are efforts being made to put all this podcast together. So right there, that should tell you that either I've made a terrible mistake, which I don't think that I have, or it should tell you that there's something very interesting about this person. And that's what I believe to be the case. I believe that people will be fascinated by John Doe and what he's done in his life. In my opinion, season three will be John having done something that he would probably say was stupid. I call it old. He did something very courageous and it ties into my personal story, something that happened to me uh, sort of during the pandemic. I had a very tragic thing happen in my life tangentially to me. And John was there for that and he helped me for that. And then he suddenly went and did this other thing. So I, I think that's probably season three. Do you feel like that's presumptuous of you that you know there are these three seasons or limited series, as you call them, that you want to tell under the title APX? No, I don't I don't think it's presumptuous. These limited series, I wanted to produce them. I started True Crime Think Tank as sort of a one-man show. True Crime Think Tank had a different mission statement and objective than what I'm doing right now with APX. I wanted to examine how popular crime stories were told by the media. And I wanted to know if there was a way that I could help shape them. That's what it made me start True Crime Think Tank. What does the name APX mean? The program that we talk about here is actually a government program. We want to talk about that now. Sure. I, I think that sounds good. Okay. So, <laughs> all right. So APX is about things that hide in plain sight. Um, I think that you said nearly clandestine. It's not merely clandestine. It's, it's funding. Like government money goes to these programs that are attached to these agencies that, that make not a lot of sense. Uh, in fact, I think the Acera program, when we finally got to the bottom of where uh, Acera came from, which I, I know that someone is going to say, you have to say what the Acera program is. So if you can help me for one second, um, it, in, in my mind, I think I know what it is, but... <laughs> I would have totally known if you hadn't asked. The American Crime Statistics Index Review for Archive, I think, something like that. Okay, so it's the American Crime Statistics Examination and Review for Archive. This happens under... Alternative Research and Advanced Research Programs Annex. If you're reading that as a budget line item, it, it typically falls really close to DARPA. It is not DARPA. It is something completely different. And one of the reasons that I brought you on board was because of your experience reading and summarizing these white papers that were largely from different DARPA programs. I felt like you could help me make sense of what John Doe had left behind more than anyone else. 
this is a very innocuous program overall. It just looks like it's in the wrong place. It, if this were 100, the Department of Justice, like their offices, I don't know that I ever would have found it because there's so many programs like this that exist there. Why did you select John Doe as the subject of the first season of this story? So the reason that I selected John Doe as a subject of this podcast, this specific reason, is because he ties into all the stories that I wanted to tell here. I believe that APX is telling very important stories that otherwise would go completely unnoticed by the very people who fund them and the people who are most likely not to know about them. Where is John Doe now? I don't think I can tell anyone where John Doe is right now with certainty. I'm hoping that I'm hoping that I can explain that by season three in a way that the audience is satisfied with what happened. I'm certainly going to tell what happened about him along the way with your assistance. And that was one of the reasons I chose you to host this because I thought it would be weird if I sat and have the script and just read it. I felt like that would be the wrong way to go about telling this story. And I also have appreciated the perspective that you have on this story and the angles that you've taken to help me do that. Okay, since we can't tell the whole story in like one episode, if you had to pick the one single most important part of who John is and what he was doing that made you want to tell this story, what would that one most important single element be? The single most important element about him is that <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the single most important element about him is. Like, like I had an answer. I don't think it's a good enough answer. Um, I, I'll come back to this, but I think, I think almost think that the audience has to decide what the single most important element of all of this is. The Dragon Force, for me, wanting to tell this story is just how strange, how weird, it's just how bizarre all of this is. It really is a bizarre story. And if I hadn't been there and saw it happening, I never would, I never would have believed it. And that may be the part, like it's so unbelievable, that may be the single most important element of the story is that I know that it happened, and I know that it's that unbelievable. Okay, I want to play you a sound bite. I guess the question becomes, are you able to recover the bodies? Because I will give you the, like, the locations of each of and we can just, you know, we can go out and I can show you the ones that are closed. We can just dig them up, right? All of them but one are in the, like, the bottom under, well, depending on the time, it's probably most of them, uh, are probably in the skeleton phase of what they are going to be, except for the one I put in Ming's basement. It's in the wall. And it's like probably not, it's probably not in the best shape, but it's past the smell stage. Who is that voice? Okay, so that voice that you just heard there is is a, we're going to call him Subject 759 because that's what, he is listed as in all of the recordings that we have with him. Now we have hours and hours of this man speaking. I know that voice. 
I think that audiences will know that voice. And I think at some point, John reveals in the recording through the voices because he's tired of that person going by 759. So I think that's an important part of the story. And are there more voices that we will be hearing? Yes, there are more. Like, I was shocked at how many there were. Um, I guess, like, looking at it, they're kind of numerical numbers. Uh, You'll you'll see as as the other people come up. And that may be the reason we have a season four and a season five is that, okay, season four could very easily be about the others that come before 759. There's not that many that come after 759 in terms of these type people. Um, I'm going to call them prenders because there are different types of uh, criminals or subjects. I don't, I don't know what the right word would be. Um, it is important to note that 759 was not committed of anything. And for the audience, that's very important that we address it that way going forward. But yes, there are more. And I believe that they're all pretty important. Um, I would... 759 was the most shocking because I was the most familiar with his voice from like popular media and true crime. Um, I was not as familiar with the other voices as they went along, but I was shocked when I realized who it was on, on all of them. You have all of these recordings from John Doe. Um, I have probably 500 hours total recording. This took place over a very long period of time. Um, Will there be other stories related to this one and these characters in the future seasons of APX? I probably have 500 hours total recordings for seven subjects, and that would very easily be season four and season five of APX. But that's not the next part of APX, right? That's this part. It's... Yeah, so we would have um, season one is a pretty international story, although the characters, there's quite a few American characters in there. And it's about a program that stems from the United States of America and the and America's government. The season two is strictly in the United States. There are a couple of people who assisted in that investigation whose voices you will hear. They are not from the U.S., but they're in both seasons. I, I don't know about season three right now because some of that recording is still sort of taking place. Um, okay, so this season is called APX colon 759. So we have that. And then we have a missing persons case that you and John Doe worked on prior to us doing the work for season one of APX. And you and John Doe were able to solve that case, right? Yeah. Is that the fair assessment of, of like, what, so 759 and then the other case? And then when the events of season one occurred, John Doe was actually working on something else, altogether different. And he was investigating something that he sort of told you about, but he didn't tell you the whole story. So what John was working on when he goes missing was uh, he had he had, had a serial killer or an alleged or had 
I don't know what the word would be. He had a person who claimed they were a serial killer who sent him a series of videos. And those videos are the subject of, of season three and what John did about it. Um, at the end of it all, it's a little weird to talk about that right now because some of the ending of that story is taking place in another country. So season three is almost, it's strange. Technically the events appear to take place in the United States, but where the story takes place is in a different country. Is it okay with you if I play the first part of my very first interview with John Doe for this part of the episode? Yeah, I think it would be appropriate to play a part of of your of your interview with John here so they're like the audience gets accustomed to his voice and and they hear what he has to say um about this program and you know I want to say I like my voice is not here a ton it, it's I'm in this series um as an executive producer I have to say that you're a fantastic person to be putting all of this together uh, I feel like the audience is in very good hands with you Beth and I really appreciate you doing this. I really appreciate you coming along um, on this adventure. I, I think it's fair to call it an adventure. So now I'm going to introduce you to John Doe. And yes, that's his real name. And he is, well, I'll let him tell you. So why don't you tell the audience your name and a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, so my name is John Doe. Uh, I'm an investigator. I spent most of my career uh, as what's known as a core collector, and I managed human intelligence assets in different countries and different places for different agencies around the world. How did you and Jennings meet? Jennings and I, I think I came out of the womb and Jennings was just sitting there. Actually, that's not true. I think Jennings came out of the womb and I was just sitting there. I'm a couple of months older than Jennings. I've known him my whole life. Um, you know, people say that, and I want to clarify a thing about it. So I've known him my whole life, but I went, so I went to college and um, I had sort of a disappointing college experience and I ended up signing up for the service and going from college straight to the service. And I think Jennings went to, uh, I think Jennings went on to get his master's degree and uh, you know, to do all those things. So he went kind of left and I went right, but we weren't even at the same schools in college. But, you know, people say I've, I've known someone my whole life. I didn't see Jennings for, I, it's probably like 15 or 20 years. And when I came back into his life, um, he says that I spiced it up. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but I had been, you know, I'd been working the whole time and I actually didn't live there anymore. Um, I didn't, like, I had a house that's not terribly far away, but I didn't live, like, in my hometown. I, I left my hometown. I've never been back. I've never been back to live in my hometown again. You told Jennings several years ago that you wanted to give him something and that if anything ever happened to you, you wanted him to tell your story. What did you give him and why is that? I did, I did tell him that I wanted to give him something. And that, so it's interesting because there's been a couple of those things. Working as a, what's known as a core collector, I give a couple of copies of things to different people. M mainly, <laughs> I don't do it like all the time, 
but there's a couple of times that I sort of looked at what I was like about to do and I went, well, you know, is this a dangerous situation? Which, I mean, I think one of the reasons that I wanted the story to be told is because like I was usually figuring out a way to make, I, I, I've done some really dumb things. Yeah, so what I gave him was recordings from a project that I did with the Acera project with what is known as APX. So the Acera project, okay, it's an organization. I say project. It's probably a foundation. Um, it's something that you would find on a line item, and I, I'm not kidding when I say this. I think you will find it under the, the Department of Agriculture. I think that's where it falls. So it's a research thing. Um, it should be under the Department of Justice and the different grants that they issue there. It's not, and I think that's by design. Generally speaking, I thought that the ACERA program with the project APX, that's probably the best way to say it. So the ACERA program and the APX project, I felt like they were doing something, like it's weird, I can't tell how it's illegal because technically they really haven't done anything. Um, but it's at, at the very best, it's sort of amoral and unethical. And that's why I wanted, that's what I, what I gave him is the story from the season. It's about a particular uh, subject of that project. And he's a prisoner, like for lack of a better word, he cannot leave. Um, he is number 759. And there's been about 800 of him, so... That's where this all kind of comes from. What did you think might happen to you? I wasn't sure what might happen. You know, a lot of what's happened in my life has felt a little cloak and dagger, but it usually isn't as dangerous as it's made out to be in like spy shows. For the first time ever, this felt kind of dangerous. Like this one, like when this all happened. And I've been working on this project for a long time. I've been on the APX project since 2011. I spent three years in the field for them. And then I was moved into an analyst position uh, late 2013, early 2014. And that's when what's on the recordings happened. Uh, and I've only, I haven't been gone that long. Um, Did you feel like what was on the recordings would put you in danger? Right. So when you do this kind of work, it's not there every day. And I think once people start to hear how it's all set up, they'll be like, what's happening? There's a lot of prep work that you do, like in, in this job. What is APX? Yeah. So APX is a project in the ACERA program. The ACERA program is the American Crime Statistics Examination and Review for Archives. This is a think tank program. It's a lot of science involved. Uh, it's mostly psychology and math, believe it or not. Those are the two things that are sort of converging here. Um, I, there will be studies written about this. They're not being written right now. They're like the studies are actively ongoing. They're long-term studies. I don't know if they'll ever be published, though. But APX is the project under that, and it stands for American Prisoner X. The name, I don't know who made up that name. It's a little silly, but it's really not. Um, these are people who are being held, they really should be in prisons. Almost all of these, almost unfailingly, these people should be doing a life sentence without parole for whatever it is they did ahead of becoming uh, an APX subject. But as an APX subject, they're not, they're in a prison kind of, which I assume we're going to 
spell that out in another part of the interview. But they can't leave, but they're being held in what's known as extrajudicial circumstances, which means the court system can't help them. And it's a, they're okay. So let's just to clarify some things as we move forward. One, they're not on U.S. soil. They're not in U.S. territories. So that's one important thing. Two, as far as the U.S. government as a whole is concerned, every one of the subjects of APX is deceased. They're dead. Three, the ACERA program operates in a way that it's missing the head of the snake, I guess is what you would call it. It's missing the top level of oversight. And the reason is because it sort of falls into a hole. A lot of stuff in the government falls into a hole. This particular hole is fascinating because it was created, no kidding, more than 50 years ago. But now it just continues to exist, and it exists as an independent entity from its funders entirely. And no one seems to grasp how weird it is that this program exists. ACERA operates on its own. It does something. It gives back information. The APX project under the ACERA program is a complete black box. I'm Beth Maurer. This is APX, season one, seven, five, nine. And this is episode one, A Man Called Doe. This podcast is brought to you by True Crime Think Tank and True Crime Excess. Our executive producers are Margaret Elizabeth, John Walters, and Jamie B. APX is written and directed by your host, Beth Maurer, with assistance from Jennings John. Editing by Marlo Boyd, Alex Bryant, and Beth Maurer. Special thanks to Miguel Santos, Arson Sergov, Hayden Madison, and Roger Kamini for their assistance with this story. Please consider following us or giving us a rating to help us get noticed in the crowd. For more information after this limited series concludes, check out truecrimexs.com. Donations or sponsorship inquiries for future seasons of APX may be directed to True Crime Excess or to Jennings John. We are also sponsored by the John Doe Family Foundation. We hope you enjoyed today's show, and as always, thank you for listening. It's sort of weird because the first episode was actually the last episode of season one, but some things happened and we had to change that up. It was really the 13th episode. It was like a bonus episode. And I think that you had decided that you wanted to do something slightly different. And honestly, I agreed with you. So we met with what you wanted to do. I was concerned you asking like what the most important thing was at one point when we were talking, the quality, the single element that made me do it, like put all this together. And that was, I didn't think the story was going to be told.
and I thought it would be a shame, but the story wasn't told. What had really driven me to go along and changing everything up was, so John calls me, and he tells me he's going to be gone for a minute. And I was like, what is a minute? And at the end of it, I realized he was chasing this case. And I couldn't figure out, look, I had it narrowed down to two things he might be doing, but he wouldn't tell me what it was. I didn't really ask, but it was. And then while that's going on, we're weeks into that. And he calls when he says, hey, can you go check on my wife? And I was like, but that's a really strange thing to ask someone. Will you go check on my wife? And I think what had bothered me the most is after all of that had gone down, I thought, did he do something to her? And that's why he's gone? And that made me have second thoughts about doing any kind of story about him at all. And here we are. Next time on APX. Uh, there was a time when you would hear about serial killers on the evening news every single night. And then there was a time where you began to hear about serial killers dying. Whether they died before they had been arrested even. Some of them were rumored to have been killed by their victims. How they're treated in the media. Things changed. And when they changed... It was a really big deal. And to think that this small number of serial killers that there were, suddenly they all killed themselves, it seems a little absurd. So when you're interviewing these subjects and you hear what they're saying to you, do you believe them? <laughs> well, isn't that the question? Well, a lot of what we're focused on doing when you're in this program is you're trying to get basically the methods and the motives. So you're kind of doing the math and psychology of things. There's a lot of minimization that happens. And I don't think I can qualify that particular question with an answer that covers all the subjects because some of these subjects, I, they're full of it <laughs> for whatever reason. Some of them want credit for things they didn't do. And some of them, they like, don't want to tell you anything. And the idea was how long would it take to get one of these guys, like say we're talking about the serial predators, how long does it take to get those guys to admit all their victims and for all of their cases to be put to rest? And then how do you know? And the idea was you study that, you do it with these subjects, you turn that information over to state, local, and federal investigators, and they're able to close these cases out with more efficiency in the future. That's the idea behind it. I don't know how much you can believe them at all. <laughs>